To me, being vegan is an aspiration to live as kindly as possible and to create mutually beneficial relationships. It's not so much about an ingredient list. Sometimes in the vegan movement, we get kind of all tied up about monoglycerides and things like that. And that's fine. But I think the spirit of it is more important than the technicalities like that. And it's about living mindfully and kindly and respectfully towards others. But we also recognize that people are oftentimes afraid of change and they have attachments to their habits. And change can be scary. And that is one of the biggest obstacles. People are afraid. And so if we can make it less frightening and easy to do, then we want to help people take steps. So incremental steps oftentimes lead to more steps that ultimately lead people to live healthier, more compassionate lives that are aligned with their own values. That was Jean Bauer, co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Jean is one of the most compassionate people I know. In Farm Sanctuary, he has created a safe haven for farm animals and an educational resource to living a more compassionate life. Jean was named the conscience of the food movement by Time Magazine and has been selected by Oprah to be on her dream team, Super Soul 100. He has traveled around the country for over 25 years, raising awareness around the violence inherent in factory farming and in our current food system. He has seen it all. He's been behind the scenes in slaughterhouses, farms, and stockyards, documenting the unimaginable conditions that the animals of our food system are forced to endure their entire lives. I cannot imagine seeing what he has seen. He has testified in court on the local, state, and federal level, giving those without a voice a chance for a better life. He is an animal advocate, compassionate educator, author, Ironman triathlete, and newfound yogi. We love this. Go Jean! He lives in alignment with his values and sincerely meets people where they are at in their journey to create helpful dialogue for change. Every day, you guys, every time we eat, every time we load our fork or spoon, we have a choice. And the choices we make about our food have widespread effects on our bodies, the planet, and the animals. I can't wait to share this interview with you all, but first, I got to do some housekeeping. I want to congratulate Julia Hanlon. She is the winner of our August giveaway and the fired up new owner of a pair of UFOs recovery shoes. Julia is not only a supporter of the YTP, she is also a podcast host herself. Her show, Running on Ohm, was born out of inspiration and she is now in the 200s for episodes. Thank you, Julia, for the awesome review. And for those of you who have not won yet, fret no more, for we are announcing our September giveaway right now. All you have to do is leave a review on iTunes and email it to us so that we have your contact info in case you come up the lucky winner this month. If you already have left a review, you will be thrown into the mix again, giving you yet another chance to win. And what are we winning? Well, 
This month, we're partnering with Trigger Point Therapy, a company that BJ is proud to race for as one of their team members and definitely one of my personal faves since my massage school days. I have recommended these products to hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years, and these little gems were among the few lucky inclusions on the Ride the High Vibe Tour packing list. I don't know what we would do without them. This month, we're giving away one Trigger Point Therapy Foundation Collection Kit to help you move more freely and feel better through daily deep tissue massage. To get all the details, go to the September giveaway link in the show notes for this podcast at yogitriathlete.com. And also, we've got tons of links in relation to our discussion with Jean that you will for certain want to check out. Without further ado, I would like to introduce and share with you our new friend and the friend to billions of animals in this world, Gene Bauer. You guys are on your way to California now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're on our way to California. And, um, you know, we knew we were going to um, move for quite some time, but literally, I mean, this was all just downloaded to me in a meditation. Wow. And thank God I have a husband who understands my spirit. You know, I literally texted him and said, you know, we're out of here. I got a plan. I had no no plan. I had no plan. All I had was a state. Well, plans are sometimes, you know, sometimes we force plans that are not really that sensible or that fit, you know, and it's good to be very open minded. I mean, Farm Sanctuary really wasn't a plan either. You know, it was something that evolved from our investigations of farms, seeing horrible things finding living animals left for dead, rescuing them, and then watching them recover. And as they healed, in a sense, we healed too, you know, because we're dealing with a system that's horrendous and abusive, and and it's something that most people unwittingly support without really even thinking about it. So Farm Sanctuary is a place where these animals get to be our friends, not our food. It's it's a place where vegan is normal, and it, it didn't have a plan to begin with. It just sort of evolved, and it continues evolving today. And that's my experience in life, in, um, is that the big things kind of take care of themselves. And so I had a moment um, on the first day when we were volunteering here, when I came back to grab a snack, I grabbed one of these Amrita bars, actually, because it's hard work volunteering yes. <laughs> on this farm. And um, I was walking up the path, and I just stopped, and I looked around, and I just took in all the sounds, and I watched all the people and the tours that are going on, and you know the guys that are just moving from barn to barn to care for the homes of these animals and i just it's all for them like it's all for them gene like what you've created here is massive it's a beautiful place and we have some amazing people here we have you know it it is a place of healing it's a place where the animals get to heal and i think by caring for them it it also gives a sense of purpose and meaning for people you know, and I think most people want to do good in the world. Most people don't want to be involved in a system that's causing so much harm and suffering. Uh, but most people don't really think very much about their food and about the fact that we are causing such enormous destruction on the planet, especially with our animal-based habits, animal-based diet. And, you know, at Farm Sanctuary, we confront that reality directly. And people can look into the eyes of these animals, learn where they came from, hear their stories, hear about the horror that they've been made to experience, and about humanity's complicity and our disrespect for others. And it's not something that most people really feel good about. And 
here at Farm Sanctuary, we encourage people to pay attention and ultimately to think about the way we live and eat and to make choices that we can feel good about. And, and most people are humane. And I think logically that leads us not to kill and eat animals. You know, there's a major undoing that needs to happen for so many people because we're born into this. We're born into this, right? From as a baby, when we're weaned off our mother, you know, we're a bottle of cow's milk is put in our mouth. And so before we can speak, make decisions for ourselves, anything, we are indoctrinated into this society. So it's a major undoing. Yes. But um, the one thing that I love about you guys and we've been following you for quite some time now, is um, the way that you express yourselves outwardly through the stories of the animals and the videos, it's very easy for people to be invited in. Yes. That is in such alignment with one of your main messages, which is being compassionate. Yes. Right? Because the, what you are sending out there, and make no mistake, you guys are massive animal you know, activists. However, the message that you get out to people really, I think, just lends a gentle hand for them to hold on to, and you can guide them through the education in a way that is um, a lot more inviting than you know, yelling yeah, at them there's... and showing them some awful pictures. Yes, which yes. you've seen. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, one of um, Farm Sanctuary's important values is that we speak to people where they are on their own journeys, and we recognize that change happens oftentimes incrementally over time. Now, I would love to wave a magic wand and have a vegan world overnight, mm -hmm. but that's not likely going to happen. So we need to be pragmatic and also aspirational and idealistic. So we talk about a vegan mindset and living in a way that doesn't cause unnecessary harm to others and encourage people to consider that. But we also recognize that people are oftentimes afraid of change and they have attachments to their habits and change can be scary and that is one of the biggest obstacles people are afraid and so if we can make it less frightening and easy to do then we want to help people take steps so incremental steps oftentimes lead to more steps that ultimately lead people to live healthier more compassionate lives that are aligned with their own values and that's one of the core messages is we encourage people to live in alignment with their own values because most people are humane and most people don't like factory farming cruelty or animal slaughter in any way. And when the issue of animal agriculture comes up and factory farming comes up, people will often say, don't tell me I don't want to know because it's upsetting and it's disturbing. And at the same time, people are participating in it. So there's this dissonance between their values and their humanity and their empathy and their behavior. and our goal is to align those. And, you know, our assumption and belief is that people would rather not cause harm. And if we can live well without causing harm, why wouldn't we? And so that's a big part of our approach. And, but like you say, we try to lend a hand and we try to um, attract and inspire and elevate and encourage people to live in a way that is more compassionate it's also healthier and it also doesn't cause harm to the planet like animal agriculture does. So this is something that's a win-win-win. And oftentimes people have this belief that going vegan means giving things up, when in fact I think it's the opposite. And so if we can reframe that, I think it helps to undo some of the fear and obstacles people have to taking steps towards a plant-based lifestyle. 
And we were talking a little bit about mindfulness before we started uh, recording. And I've been there. I've been that person that's like, okay, okay, I don't, I don't want to, it's too painful. And so the mindfulness piece, we were talking about how we work with athletes, but how it's, it can't help but integrate into the rest of your life. And what mindfulness does is it helps you understand what to do with that energy, that it's just energy, that it's, it's, it is fear and it's, it's uncomfortableness, but how can you sit with that until it passes? Because if you can do that and you can start to lift that veil and open your eyes to see that these are not just commodities, they're not economic units, which they are considered to be by the government and these factory farms, that they're beings yeah. and that they are social and they have friends and sometimes they fight. We hear the pigs get into it sometimes. <laughs> they're and individuals, they have personalities. Yeah, they're yeah. individuals. So can yeah. you share, um, share just one of the stories that comes to mind? Well, one of the stories I like to talk about is this young calf who I rescued from a stockyard. He was born on a dairy farm and he was a male, so he was not useful to the dairy. So he was sent to the stockyard to be sold on the day he was born. He was still wet from afterbirth. He was freezing and he was dying of hypothermia. So I went up to the stockyard worker and I said, what's up with this calf? And he said, well, I have to bury him later today. And I said, well, what if I take him off your hands? And he said, sure, go ahead. So I took the calf to a veterinarian and his temperature was so low, it wouldn't even read on the thermometer. Uh, she said, he has very little chance of survival. It makes no economic sense. Why are you wasting any time on this animal? And I said, to me, it's not about economics. It's about helping an individual. And she finally agreed to treat him. And I brought him back to the sanctuary. He was on intravenous fluids. And so I spent a lot of time with him in the early days. And he finally was able to lift his head. He was able then to start suckling from a bottle. He was able to stand and he was recovering, but he really wasn't thriving. And when I took him out to the cow barn and put him in a pen and the other cows all gathered around him and started mooing at him, he started responding and mooing back and he was with his own people and he knew he was in a safe place. And it really speaks to how these are social animals, how they need to be in a healthy social environment. Like people too. I mean, we grow up, as you were saying, eating animal foods because everybody around us is doing it and we do this without really thinking about it um so we need to be in a healthy social environment and that's people and animals and you know i've been into these factory farms i've been into slaughterhouses and there's this stress and anxiety and violence that pervades the air you know it's just and and that's i think that is absorbed by the animals and the people and here at farm sanctuary we are sort of the antidote to that. You know, these are animals that have been rescued and who are our friends and who get to enjoy life and, and they get to share their lives with others. And, and it creates a whole different experience. And it's the kind of world we want to create. You know, one where um, nobody has to be afraid that somebody's going to come and attack them or hurt them or, or, or kill them, which, you know, farm animals grow up in a world where that is the norm and, and, and that has an effect on the animals. It also has an effect on people. You know, working in a slaughterhouse um, does something to you. And, um, you know, violence creates more violence and it creates disconnection because if you're harming somebody, you don't want to see them as an individual worthy of consideration. And this goes from human to human violence as well as human to other animal violence. You know, when there is somebody perpetrating harm on another, there's this psychological need, I think, to denigrate the victim and to say they don't deserve any better because that makes the 
the powerful one who is, you know, abusing the less powerful one feel better about what they're doing because they can then rationalize that they don't really deserve better. And this is the sort of mentality that has existed over the course of human history when certain groups have mistreated other groups and, and then rationalize it. And, and this sort of rationalizing is still happening when it comes to the way we mistreat other animals. You know, the, the yogis and Gandhi and Buddha and Albert Schweitzer, like they've all said for so many, many, many years that we will never find peace until we stop the violence. Right. Yes. Yes. And the viol violence will never create peace. It will never create peace. And it starts within ourselves. Very true. Yeah. And um, you know that, I'm sure you know that book, World Peace Diet. By oh, yeah. Will Tuttle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're actually listening to his audiobook, but I actually have it and I've read it. And the thing that I love about what he's, he says is, among many things, is that what we, what we put in us becomes us. Yep. Like I it, agree. It yeah. becomes us. Literally. I mean, it's it incarnate, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the cells of the food we consume are incorporated into the cells of our bodies. Right. And there is the biological side, but there's also potentially other aspects that are harder to measure. But I, I totally agree. We are what we eat. And if we're eating violence, it has an effect. So there's a lot of vegetarians out there, and I used to be one of them, and um, used to eat a lot of cheese. And I would think that, well, I'm not harming anyone with the cheese. And I was kind of a natural born vegetarian, always questioned it, even as a child. I didn't understand why we would eat something. I used to think like, I would look at my plate and I would think to myself, this is what a dead person would look like. This is what I, at a very young age. So I, I always had, I had that, I brought that into the world that I had a disconnect there, but there was no disconnect when it came to dairy. And I think a lot of people have that um, feeling that, well, I'm not harming anything. Can you, so can you speak a little bit to the dairy industry and just help educate our listeners on um, really the truth behind it? Yeah, sure. Well, a lot of people who don't want to harm animals, as you say, become vegetarian because it's very clear that if you're killing somebody and eating their flesh, then you're causing harm. In the case of dairy, it's one more step removed. So in some cases, people don't really recognize how abusive that industry is. And in fact, I would say the dairy industry is worse than most other forms of animal agriculture. For a dairy cow to have milk, she has to have a calf. Now, they don't lactate just for the heck of it. They lactate and produce milk to feed their babies. So these cows have a calf every year. The calf is taken away immediately after birth so that the milk can then be sold for people. If the calf is a female, she'll be raised to become a milking cow to replace other cows because they continuously burn them out and they go to slaughter at just about three years. In a healthy environment, these cows would live 20 years, but on these factory farms, they're only in production about three years before they're slaughtered, and then they're slaughtered for beef. So this idea that they um, have good long lives is just completely incorrect. And while they're producing milk, um, they're pushed beyond their biological limits. They're pushed to produce about 10 times more milk than they would produce in nature. Um, and during much of their lactation period, they're also pregnant because they have a calf every year. They have a nine-month gestation period. So they are pregnant and giving milk for much of their lives. They cannot eat enough to keep the weight on their bodies. So they're in what the industry calls a state of negative energy balance, and they're losing weight during this time. Um, and then right before giving birth, about two months, they are they stop milking them so the cow can be, what the industry says, reconditioned 
so they can put the weight back on their bones so that when they give birth again, they can go back into the same cycle. So these animals are pushed very hard. Um, and in addition to the physical stress of it, there's the emotional stress. You know, cows, like other mammals, are maternal and they want to raise their young. But on dairy farms, these cows have their calves taken away immediately at birth. And so that's a very stressful event for the mother and for the baby. And so these are inherent problems with the dairy industry that most people don't think that much about. And when you look at it, do we really need to drink the milk of another species? No, we don't. No, of course <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> yes, I mean, but we do, we grow up with this habit. And there's this belief that drinking cow's milk somehow is healthy when in fact it is not. And there's all kinds of government subsidies for this industry, um, promotional through the USDA food school lunch program and through other means. And, uh, and it shouldn't be that way. We should be promoting healthier plant foods through our food policies as opposed to animal foods. But the dairy industry is one of the most entrenched. And, and, and so that's why it, uh, you know, it's one of the, the most important industries I think for us to take on. But they're actually, showing that they are investing in plant-based milks, like yeah. cashew milk, almond milk. Um, so it seems like they can't get away from it, um, but I'm sure they're still hammering that whole milk um, because we see it in, in ads too. We're seeing it for um, specifically for triathlon. We see the chocolate milk as a recovery drink and they've got their, their stars of the sport drinking it and, and saying, oh, this is the best thing for recovery. Yes. And, and I did it myself. You know, I drank, you know, organic farms, uh, chocolate milk way back when for recovery. You know, I bought into it. But I think as you ed get educated more and just explaining what it is in the dairy industry, I think people become more aware. They're just not seeing it because the marketing and advertising is so heavy and so in your face. Um, and to your point about the cows, yesterday we met Kirsty, and she's mm -hmm. 28. Mm. And then we saw Cashew the little baby calf that just came on and he would not leave his mom. So you can see that instinct of um, the maternal instinct, like they need to be bonded, they need to be together. Yeah, that's a healthy social environment, a healthy social relationship, which we deny these animals on dairy farms or on other farms where the animals are being exploited for food. But yeah, in terms of the drinking cow's milk in the dairy industry, um, there is a shift, you know, and there are more and more plant-based milks available you know, cashew milk, as you mentioned, and there's soy milk and almond milk and coconut milk. And consumers are starting to shift, which is a very good thing. The dairy industry, though, now is starting to push more cheese because in order to produce cheese, you need more milk. And then it and so that way they can sell more milk. And so the government then gets into promoting that. And there was a situation a while back where they were they had some partnership or some arrangement with Domino's Pizza to put extra cheese on the pizzas. So it's it's it's. You know, this ongoing effort on the part of the industry to market and create a demand for their products and tax money goes into that uh, still. But, but as you say, there is, I think, now a consumer shift. Con people are recognizing that you can live well without cow's milk. And um, there are more and more plant-based options than there have ever been. And it's more accessible. You can go to mainstream grocery stores. And uh, it's a very good time for, for, for the vegan movement. And two things I just want to touch upon, a lot of people think that you need to eat this meat to be strong and healthy, right? And so we're, we've got three people right here, Ironman triathletes right here, all three of us, that we are thriving. And you look great, I look great, and BJ looks great, right? We're all, we all look like we're about in our mid-20s. And um, what I want to point out is that 
these meats. So if we're talking about these dairy cows that are just pushed to their limits to the point where some of them, when they're sent to slaughter, can barely stand. Yes. Correct? Yeah. And so now that's the meat of an unhealthy animal that's ending up on the plate of somebody who thinks that that's what they need to eat to be masculine or to be strong or to reach their goals in life. And there's such an effort to keep us blinded from that. And then the other thing is um, the veal industry, which was literally born from the dairy industry and, and that these calves are slaughtered at such a young age, like little Cashew, I think he's a male, he's so cute. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, he's such new life, he's amazing. And I look at him, he's, they said he's um, about less than a month old, I think, at this point, and um, that he would be slaughtered, you know, within the next few months, but that they keep them borderline anemic, if not fully anemic, so that their flesh is pink. So another, a question that we get all the time is, where do you get your iron? And oh. so they think you're gonna get your iron from meat, but if you're eating veal, you're eating iron deficient animal. If you're, a lot of the meat that you're eating, you're you're eating meat of animals that are scared. Yes, yes. And they're unhealthy. Yes. And it's- And they're diseased. I mean, it's the USDA, yeah allows diseased animals to be slaughtered and used for human food. We actually sued the USDA over this, and we argued that you cannot use diseased animals for food. And they said, in fact, that they could, and it's a common practice. So when people consume these products, they're, they're ingesting potentially uh, disease agents that could cause harm. I mean, mad cow disease was one of those, for example. One of our big campaigns for years was to prevent downed animals, animals too sick even to stand, from going into the slaughterhouses and from being used for human food. Uh, and many of these downed animals are cows from the dairy industry because they're pushed beyond their biological limits. And, and as you say, the, the veal industry is literally born out of the dairy industry. These, the industry wanted to do something with all of these unwanted male calves. So they had this plentiful supply and they created the veal industry. And this was also a way for the dairy industry to use milk industry byproducts like certain processed byproducts of dairy production that could then be turned into milk replacer for calves and fed to veal calves so this was an industry creation to take advantage of certain byproducts namely uh the cat the male calves and uh processed byproducts of of the dairy industry from the milk so um it, it you know we we it's it's amazing what we come up with as human beings. Uh, another of the things that is done is that they take manure and they turn that into feed. So in the case of cattle, for example, they will sometimes use chicken manure and feed it to cows. Uh, they used to use dead cows and feed them to live cows. But after the BSC discovery and the recognition that that was a practice that could exacerbate that problem, there have been some regulations to limit it. But uh, you know, this is an industry where pretty much anything goes. And um, they're feeding dead animals to live animals, even vegetarians. I mean, and what's the police? Like, so you can pass the laws, but what are the, what's the policing that's happening? Because there's billions of animals in this country that are being slaughtered every month, every year. I mean, yeah. the, the numbers are staggering. And where are all these animals? Yeah, more where and more of them are indoors and you, you don't, don't see them. them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Now in the case of beef cattle, a lot of them still start their lives on cow-calf operations where the cows are on the range and have a calf. This is more out west than, than out around this area. Uh, and then they end up in a feedlot to be fattened, oftentimes in the Midwest or Nebraska, Kansas, places like that, where you then have 
vast expanses of corn and soybeans that are being grown to feed and fatten them. So in the case of animals that are outdoors, the main ones you would tend to see would be beef cattle, uh, either at the cow-calf operation or in the feedlot uh, as they're being fattened closer to slaughter. Uh, dairy farms sometimes allow their animals to graze, but oftentimes they're just kept indoors the whole time. In the case of pigs and chickens, they're almost always indoors, confined in these factory farms. And turkeys, the same way. So it really depends on the species and the part of the country you're in. There has been a move to reform animal agriculture to some small degree with the growing awareness about the abuses of factory farming. People don't feel very good about it and they're looking for alternatives. So you now have this very big push for so-called humane meat, milk, and eggs. But the term humane and the practices are not aligned. And what's happening in many cases is you have animals that are raised in what really are factory farm conditions that are being sold as humane or free range. Free range, for example, only requires that animals have access to the outdoors. But that's not defined. So you can have animals in a warehouse confined by the thousands with a little door that goes to a crummy little paddock, and that could be sold as free range. And even in cage-free situations, you have egg-laying chickens, for example, that are very crowded, they're still de-beaked, and that's sold as cage-free. So these labels tend to sound a lot better than they are. And at the end of the day, when you think about it, and you think of the words humane and the word slaughter, they don't really fit very well together. And, uh, but, but the fact that there's this awareness and this desire for something other than factory farming is a step. And when people say that they don't like factory farms, they will only buy humane meat. You know, I first try to say that I agree with them that factory farms are bad and I'm really glad that they are concerned about that. But then I ask, when you say humane, what do you mean by that? Because in many cases, consumers who are buying so-called humane animal foods haven't really thought about it. And they assume that the conditions are better than they are. And it's so, so I think that creates an opportunity for a discussion to ask questions and then for people to start thinking a little bit more deeply about what that means. And then fundamentally, they may come to the point of whether or not these animals should be eaten in the first place. But that that's sometimes a, a bigger step for people. So, you know, you, you, what my tendency is to try to grab onto something that you agree on and find the common ground mm -hmm. and build from there. So, you know, in my younger activist days, if somebody says, I, I hate factory farming, I only buy humane meat, I might jump on them and say, there's no such thing as humane meat. And I may still believe that, but instead of that, now I will say, uh, I'm glad we agree on the factory farming and build from there. And then when you say humane meat, what do you mean? And, and it just creates this opportunity for a dialogue, which then can tend to open up eyes and ears instead of coming out too strongly, which can then close people's eyes and ears and hearts. And, and the goal is to open and to make people think and live in a way that is uh, aligned with their own compassion. We were talking on the on the ride up here just about our journeys to plant-based um, diets and everybody is along that path. So, you know, we started or personally started eating cage-free eggs. Then I learned about it. Then it moved to like bison or grass-fed beef. And then everything kept going in that direction. And then finally, you get to the point where you're educated enough where you know this is a tax on the environment. This is a tax on the animal's lives. This is 
this doesn't feel good because you do a, a lot of what we talk about is to check in with yourself on how you feel so after you eat something how do you feel how do you feel with performance how do you feel with recovery so everybody's journey um takes takes a while so when you're talking about um connecting with them at that point and at that point in their journey i think that's the way to, to really cue in with them you know like i said i went from eggs to grass-fed uh beef and can you talk a little bit about grass-fed beef because people think that that is the next um clean source of energy but it's actually a huge tax on the environment it is absolutely well raising animals for food is inherently inefficient because you have to grow food or have huge rangelands that these animals then occupy and consume. And in the case of grass-fed cattle, you also have the whole methane issue. Animal agriculture is a bigger contributor to climate change than the entire transportation industry, according to the United Nations. So that's something that is inherent, whether these animals are grass-fed or factory farmed or feedlot raised or whatever. And at the end of the day, you know, these are animals that want to live. They're not animals that want to have their throats cut, which is how they're all killed. Um, but, you know, as you say, this, this is a process for many people. And each step is something that is worth encouraging. You know, moving away from factory farming is better than not thinking about it and continuing to consume mindlessly. Uh, going towards cage-free or animals that are, that are treated less badly are steps um, but at the end of the day, you know, the logical conclusion is that if we can live without causing harm and if we don't want to cause harm, we don't need to eat animals. We don't need to use animal products. And this actually is not only good for animals, it is good for us. From a health standpoint, it's much better to be eating whole plant foods. It's much better from an environmental standpoint. Um, the United Nations has talked about how animal agriculture is a contributor to the most serious environmental problems we're facing on this planet. So in addition to climate change, you have rainforests that are being cut down, you have a loss of biodiversity, you have ecosystems that are being destroyed, you have scarce resources like water that are being squandered. There was an article in the New York Times a few years ago called Rethinking the Meat Guzzler, and in it the author compared the amount of fossil fuels needed for a meat meal versus a vegetarian meal. He found that it took 16 times more fossil fuels for the meat meal. So you have petrochemical fertilizers, you have uh, other additives, you have antibiotics. The majority of the antibiotics used in the U.S. are fed to farm animals to keep these animals alive and growing fast in these stressful conditions. And then that results in the development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that get into our food but also get into the environment. There have been instances where you have antibiotic-resistant bacteria in the groundwater downstream from factory farms. So this is an industry that causes so much harm to animals, to ourselves, and to the earth. And some of these are more easily measured in terms of like biological pathogens, but others are more complex and more kind of psychological and emotional. And I think when we cause so much harm uh, you know, we're creating an unhealthy world and and we don't need to. I mean, that's the beauty of this. We can all do something. And, and there's many things in this world that we look at and feel powerless to change. You know, there's all kinds of wars happening and all kinds of violence happening in many parts of the world. And we wonder, what can we do? But when it comes to our food, Every day, all of us can make choices, and we have a lot of power over that. And eating in a way that is aligned with our values and aligned with our interests is an empowering act, and it is something that oftentimes leads to other 
steps towards feeling better and creating a better world, you know? So food is essential and it is, its impacts on ourselves and our world are profound. And that's, to me, one of the best things to consider and recognize and, and feel good about and empowered by. Uh, because so often we feel so disempowered and, and discouraged and frustrated by so many bad things happening around us. But when it comes to our food, we can all do something every day. And that can ultimately create enormous changes. And it's starting to happen here and there, starting to see little inklings of what is possible. And, um, and hopefully that will just continue to grow and expand. My meditation teacher always says a little bit every day over a long period of time. That's it, man. That's Every, it, right? That's it. He's got it down. Yes. And to go back to that, you know, what we put in us becomes us. If we are putting in us fear and sadness and violence, I mean, look at the world. There's so much fear and sadness and violence, but there's also a lot of vibrancy, mm-hmm. you know? And I believe that that vibrancy starts with putting in our bodies what Mother Nature has naturally provided for us. And one interesting thing that I actually heard you say on a podcast, um, and then I kind of want to get into, because we're going to wrap it up here, but I want to get into, you know, what's going on in Washington and legislature or anything like that that's happening. So one thing you had said was that all of these farm animals are not native. Oh, yeah. That yeah. they've all been brought here. That's right. That's right. The only native farm animal to North America is the turkey. All the others have been imported. And it's part of, I think, the occupation of native habitat here you know there was battles between the colonizers and the native americans over whether bison or cattle would be on the range and so these the way these animals are exploited and used kind of symbolizes other forms of oppression and exploitation and occupation and invasion and um and but but all these animals ultimately are victims too you know, they were brought over uh, to be exploited and to be killed and eaten and to subdue the land, so to speak. And it's really, in my view, not about subduing and lording over others. It's about living with others in a mutually beneficial way. To me, being vegan is an aspiration to live as kindly as possible and to create mutually beneficial relationships. It's not so much about an ingredient list. Sometimes in the vegan movement, we get kind of all tied up about monoglycerides and things like that. And that's fine. But I think the spirit of it is more important than the technicalities like that. And it's about living mindfully and kindly and respectfully towards others. And also recognizing that as human beings, we're going to cause harm just being on the planet. Nobody is perfect. And... You know, for example, I tried to buy organic produce, but if being vegan was an ingredient list, oftentimes organic produce is grown with slaughterhouse byproducts like bone meal or blood meal or feather meal or fish meal or animal manure. And so technically speaking, organic wouldn't be vegan, you know, but I think you do what you can do and you try to take steps and then ultimately you try to create new businesses and there's a whole veganic farming thing that is now starting to take off. It's very early, uh, but it's an example of, I think, what is possible. But you do what you can where you are at any given time and continuously take steps um, and, and aspire to do better. And so for me, I've been vegan a long time. 
but in recent years, I've been thinking about eating healthier. You know, as I've been doing triathlons, for example, more greens, green smoothies, things like this, instead of the more processed, junky vegan food, mm -hmm. which is out there too. Uh, so, so all of us can do a little bit better, and, and that's a big part of the process. Yeah, yeah just a little bit every day over a, little, a long period of time, and don't get so caught up in perfection. Oh, gosh. it's just progress, and okay. and it really it all boils down to this idea of mindfulness, you know, which is being aware of the moment that you're in. And, and what you're doing and what you're putting in your body and how you're moving through the world. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really, it will, it will spread out from there. All you have to do is, is take a breath and see yourself in this life right now, in this moment, that's it. Yeah. And if you just keep doing that, the clarity that you gain is beyond what you ever could have imagined or learned in school or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, tell us what uh, what's happening in in Washington. Any bills that you're uh, cringing Most, at? Yeah, Washington is a tough place for animals and justice. Oh, <laughs> it's babies. a tough place, and um, you know the system is one that is very much influenced by the moneyed interests. And you know, whenever legislation is introduced that addresses agriculture or farm animal protection, it goes to the agriculture committee which is made up of lawmakers who represent agribusiness. And so it's very difficult to get very much done there. Where we have been able to succeed, I think, the most is with ballot initiatives at the state level, getting something on the ballot for a popular vote. And the most recent one that passed was in California, actually back in 2008, to ban the use of veal crates where calves are confined and chained by their neck, unable even to turn around, gestation crates where pigs are confined in two foot wide metal enclosures, and battery cages where egg-laying hens are packed so tightly they can't even stretch their wings. So this measure was on the ballot in California, and voters voted overwhelmingly to ban those three cruel confinement systems. We had been trying for years to get this sort of legislation passed through the legislative process. And again, the process is very much influenced by the moneyed interests, and we have the best government money can buy, which means not a very good government. Um, so that's the case in Washington. And what I believe is going to ultimately start happening is that as the marketplace shifts and as people start voting with their dollars and purchasing plant-based foods and supporting and enabling and empowering plant-based companies, there's going to be more opportunities to push policies that do not support industrialized animal agriculture or animal agriculture at all, ultimately. There's, there's a new plant-based food trade association that has recently formed. It's very small, it's fledgling, but it's, I think, an example of things to come. There are significant investors now investing in plant-based businesses that are mission-driven, who want to disrupt the food business, the food industry and create a whole plant, uh, a plant agriculture to replace animal agriculture. So there's that happening. And that is where I get very excited to see and then at the same time, you have people in communities doing grassroots organizing and gardening and creating health and well-being in communities that so desperately need it. And to me, that's another thing that gives me a lot of hope is to see people growing gardens in food deserts, you know, and eating good, healthy produce and getting hope out of it, you know, because unless you see something positive like that happening, you don't think it's possible, but little glimmers of hope like that are occurring in communities all over the U.S. And 
and that also gives me a lot of uh, optimism. And there have been times, there's this guy in LA, for example, Ron Finley, who was gardening uh, in, near the sidewalks. Between the sidewalk and the street, there's like a little dirt patch, and he would put vegetables in there. And the city of LA actually tried to prevent him from doing that. So the, this is, you know, the government and the industry are very much about maintaining the status quo. Uh, but he fought them and he ultimately won. And he now is able to plant uh, produce in these medians. And one thing he says is that growing your own food is like printing your own money. And, you know, there's this movement, you know, in areas, again, where people really have little access to healthy food. And they're starting to take matters into their own hands and grow their own food. And, and, uh, and, and that's the kind of thing I think that's going to create big change over time. All right, well, we have to wrap this up. So um, what is next in your triathlon running <laughs> future? What do we have going on? I know you're a busy guy. You're traveling. Um, what's happening? You know, I don't have anything on the schedule right now. And I would love to, I, I like to have something to train for and plan for. Um, the, the next thing I might do actually is an ultra marathon uh, in the spring in Mendocino. There is the Stanford Inn, which is a vegan bed and breakfast or not bed and breakfast but a vegan like resort you know and uh this is organized around them so uh i'm hoping to do that in april but i haven't started training or anything like that and i don't have any triathlons on the schedule this year has been a very busy travel year um and that's one of the big challenges is when you're traveling a lot sometimes it's hard to get the training in but i do hope to uh you know maybe do a some Olympic distance or maybe some half Ironmans at some point within the next year or two, but there's nothing specific that is currently on the plan. Be flexible. See what happens. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I could probably go and do a half Ironman just now. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to maintain a certain level of fitness, a full Ironman. Who knows? That might be tough, but, but a half, I think I could probably do. Yeah. Full Ironman. I think people get to half Ironman and they're like, I'm going to do a full. Cause of course, if you go to one, you're so inspired the jump from half to full is so much more than double. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd really, it's really good to train, you know, yeah. which, which I've not really been training seriously. I mean, I'm, I'm maintaining a basic level of fitness, but um, yeah, I, I do like the idea of having a goal to shoot for. And so hopefully that will, there will be something that emerges. But, but as you say, I'll be, I'm flexible mm -hmm. and uh, I'm also in my pre-yoga phase. So I might start doing more yoga oh. <laughs> or actually, actually I should start say, start doing yoga. I mean, <laughs> you are on the Yogi Triathlete podcast, Gene. Yeah, there's know, a certain right. level, there's a certain expectation you're going to have to live up to now. Well, I do a little cow cat every once in a while. <laughs> there you go. A, little down dog. a little bit every day over a long period of time, it's my good, friend. It's a very good point. And maybe yeah. we'll see you in Mendocino next yeah, year. Who knows? A, now you've got me intrigued. Maybe I'll yeah. have to join yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So to find out more about Farm Sanctuary, Farm Sanctuary org and also um get your book living yeah. the farm sanctuary life uh which we didn't have time to get into but it's a beautiful book and you talk about the five tenets that um of living this farm sanctuary life and it's all about you know communing compassionately with animals and your body and eating mindfully and living in alignment with your values and all of these things that i think innately we really are but that we are born into society that doesn't support it. So there is some undoing here, but it's not about getting overwhelmed. It's just about one little thing every day, you know, checking in with yourself and, and really asking. I love this idea of vibrancy, just really asking, like, do you feel vibrant today? Do you feel vibrant right now in this moment? And if you don't, then what happened? 
You know, yeah. was it a thought that you indulged? Was it food that you ate? Is it, you know, a job that's not bringing you um, the joy, you know, and just know that there's always a way out. Yeah, and little steps. Little yep. steps lead to big change over time. Yeah, and get up here to Watkins Glen and go on a tour and meet these animals because they're just, they're absolutely amazing beings and they're individuals. And um, we believe that they have the right to live a beautiful, long life. And, you know, seeing them out there running and enjoying life does something for us, too. It brings us joy, you know, as opposed to being in a factory farm where you have animals clanking against the bars to get out. And that's not good for anybody. So it's about living well, living in a way that is good for everybody. It's a win, 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 you know, and and uh, each of us can make choices and be empowered to live vibrant lives, you know, and we're humans. So we're going to have hard days and better days, you know, so realize that and just take it in stride and it's just part of being on this planet and um aspire you know and hope and and create something positive you know and and that's what we've tried to do here at farm sanctuary and it's amazing to see this sort of energy here and the way it spreads out from here and the way seeds get planted and waves get you know start happening and you know each of us every day touches others and what we do has impacts whether it's what we think or what we how we behave that all matters and just being mindful of it and checking in and and doing little things really does add up yeah that's awesome everything counts everything everything counts so gene thank you so much for making time for us today it's such a pleasure to sit across and um have this exchange with you great speaking with you as well and thanks for being here and doing what you're doing and have a good trip out west i know we might not we might not leave (laughs) just hang out here (laughs) gene bauer everyone amazing individual right he is as passionate as he is compassionate And clearly he is living in alignment with his purpose. I mean, look at how Farm Sanctuary started. It wasn't really planned. It just came together. Check out the accompanying blog post for this episode at yogitriathlete.com. We got links in the show notes to his books, the animals of Farm Sanctuary, and the ultra that Gene mentions, and an ultra marathon that I'm actually considering doing in 2017. I can't even believe it. So get to iTunes, leave your review, and get in the running to win a TP Therapy Foundation Collection Kit. This is exactly what every active and sedentary person needs to feel better in their bodies every day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please keep sharing the podcast and your experience with us. We're getting emails all the time, and it truly warms our hearts to hear about the impact that the YTP is having on your lives, your families, and your friends. Just like Farm Sanctuary is all for the animals, this podcast, it's all for you. So ride the high vibe.